Welcome to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business podcast. We were away last week due to the holidays, but we're coming back with two episodes this week. If you haven't listened to the to our bonus episode yet, I will highly recommend that you do that because there was an episode with the NBA 2K staff, some of the team managers, some of some other execs, and uh, it was really interesting. Our first bonus episode, but. We're back for our, our regular weekly episode. Um, I'm, as always, joined by my co-host, Anton Ferraro. Anton, how are you? I'm doing very good, Mo. I think we've actually had a few side projects this week, so it's been, it's been a lot of Mo time. Yeah. <laughs> we um, Just uh, for our listeners, uh, we were asked by an um, educational platform in China called Sportit to uh, give an introductory course on esports. So um, Anton and I were in a studio all day yesterday uh, going through what we thought were the basics of esports. Yeah, they basically got a podcast episode where we went over um, all the relevant stakeholders in esports and kind of where we think the industry is going. Um, So we're both really excited to get a ton of WeChat followers. It's both of our first times with experimenting with that platform. Yeah, Uh, but I I think it'll be interesting. So Mo, let's jump into the first story. What do you have? So our first story is is something that we've talked about before a little bit is is the organ the association creation for esports. So Germany just got a really big uh, esports association called the ESBD, which stands for the Esport Esports Bund Deutschland. They announced their formation. It has about twenty one esports organizations, including professional and amateur teams, but also industry associations. Uh, software companies and um, some of their bigger names are H2K, Unicorns of Love, and ESL. Their mission statement summarizes it pretty well. So since November 2017, the ESBD is the Association for Organized Esports in Germany as a professional sports association and represented across uh, represents organized players, clubs, teams, and tournament organizers. So this is pretty much KESPA in Germany. Um, and we've talked about Kespa a lot the past couple of weeks. So, Anton, what are your first thoughts? I mean, the first thing that I see that's glaringly missing from this announcement is Riot Games. Um, Riot operates their studio, I think, either in Cologne or Berlin. I'm not sure if they've decided to move for this next year. But it's interesting that there's no major publishers uh, on here. And this feels like, you know, it's it's if I can tell, this is like the second major organization, uh, kind of based out of Europe that ESL is involved with. Um, you know, we saw them previously, uh, kind of uh, start up things with WISA, and now we're seeing this Esports Bund Deutschland. So it seems that ESL is kind of going, um, kind of the bureaucratic pathway, whereas you know they are trying to get leverage and they're trying to get clout by partnering with teams, and now they're trying to get leverage and clout by also. Uh, partnering with governments. So that's kind of like what stands out to me. And again, so it's ESL again involved here and no publishers involved as well. So one of the things that is interesting is that the ESBD is right up there with when ESL is announcing their uh, Olympic stuff with Intel. In order to have a sport be accepted into the Olympics, you need to have an association or, or various associations representing that sport. So obviously, I think this is might be kind of a pre, you know, pre-thinking that way that they want to make sure that once esports gets into the Olympics, they have an association that can represent that. 
Yes. I mean, it seems like there's a bunch of different associations being formed. And if that's their end goal, then I mean, I think that's great. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel like, you know, esports was able to move so quickly because there was so little bureaucracy and, you know, people are upset that it's the wild, wild west, but I think it's kind of been like one of our uh, unseen advantages. It's like one of those grass is greener on the other side situations um, in the respect that, you know, when, there isn't bureaucracy, people want stability. And when there is stability, everything moves at a snail's pace. Yeah, but it is necessary for these non-endemics, whether it's the Olympics or big brands to get in, that they know that there is a governmental organization that takes care of it. Even though it's pretty funny that if we look at some of the top governmental organizations, whether it's FIFA or whether it's the IOC... Or we whether see, it's Caspa, yeah, we see tons of corruption. So, the question if it's is if, if it's gonna actu- if it can actually help. Yeah, no, I mean it's I mean, Germany's uh, their economy is doing real well. So, kind of uh, excited to see their um, their government get involved. I think what was it was it was it France or Germany where one of the ministers kind of shouted out a French team's performance uh, maybe in the last two weeks. I think it was France. It might have been friends. I saw the same thing happening in Denmark with the Blast Pro. That- oh, ooh, do you want to go down that avenue for a second? I know it's not in our show notes, but I think that would be interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, so Blast had their event last week, and they I think they lost basically one of their days to um, uh, downtime. Um, I think they were experiencing kind of uh, server outages, and I think it was something on their venue side. Their CEO put out kind of um, uh, a cliff notes on all the issues that they experienced. And it seems like it was something with the set that they were using on Saturday because Sunday apparently went really smoothly and the set was completely different. Yeah, but, you know, I think when you're a new tournament organizer, obviously making a good impression is key. But I think the second and third day went really well. So it, I'm I'm pretty confident that if if Blast Pro with their next events coming up, if they're able to continue that and have you know quality production in the future, they'll be able to to do well. So to put on my Alex Jones hat, um, when the initial announcement came out, it said they wanted to do six events, with two of them being in Copenhagen. And after this, they had like kind of a recap, and they said that they only wanted to do three or four more events. So it's kind of interesting that. They went down in scope from, I think, a, a total of six events to five events, um, which kind of makes me think that these events are a little more expensive and require a little more effort than um, you know their business plan initially anticipated. Yeah, but from what I've heard from the CSGO enthusiasts, the event itself was really good. Yeah, um, I heard a lot of uh, kind of negative feedback, though, that they tried to make a different CSGO HUD and the colors were distracting. I mean, that's a minor thing. Um yeah, Caster's got a lot of great feedback, and um, uh, it's kind of a wait and see for the community in terms of the colors. Yeah, but uh, let's move on to our next story. I know, I know, you had something you want to talk about. Sure, um, we kind of have this as listed as one headline, but I'm going to tie it in. Um, as we've seen, uh, we're starting to get a lot of notes about the um, people that are getting hired for the new LCS teams. So one of them was uh, Nick Fan. He joined FlyQuest from Immortals. Another one, I think, was the guy from Unicorns of Love, Marcus Romain. I know his last name's Romain. He went from Unicorns of Love to Optic. And then we saw Hunter Lay. He joined the Golden State Warriors. So it was kind of a big, big, uh, big week in terms of uh, hiring announcements. Um, 
So Nick Fallon is now stepping up for the role that Ryan Edens previously held, who's now going to become the CEO of the business. Um, Fawn comes in with a lot of experience. He was a GM for Team Liquid, and then he was the GM for Immortals. Um, he actually had a really fun cameo in the Hulu show that the Immortals was putting out. Um, and it's kind of interesting now that if, I guess, like if we laugh about it, but um, that uh, from that immortal show, I think the only people that are left are the coach because both players, I think, are technically gone from the CSGO squad. Um, and then the GM, who was also managing the whole situation, is now gone. So it's a big transition for the team. Um, and Fan will be based in Los Angeles. And... Um, oversee the growth and development of the FlyQuest NALCS team and the academy rosters and staff. So I think it's a great hire by FlyQuest. Um, Unicorns of Love hire was also really great. Uh, Romain uh, put out a video maybe, I think it was maybe a month ago, where he explained how the Unicorns of Love business worked. It was a Blitz video, very well done, showed a lot of personality, was super informative. And I feel like his brand perfectly meshes with uh, what Optic needs. Optic has a really strong brand. He seems kind of like a little bit of a quirky individual who, you know, is super interesting, really great hire. And then Hunter Lay. Hunter, he was with On Gamers. Then he went to Riot and he kind of took over Alan, Nick Allen's position for a hot minute. Then he went to Yahoo Esports for, I think, about the better part of a year and a half. And then now he's transitioning to the Warriors. I know he's probably happy that he's going to be based out of San Francisco. It's his hometown. Um, lots of experience both internally within Riot from a media perspective. And uh, I think transitioning to a team is, you know, just the next natural step for him. Any thoughts on any of those guys? Yeah, I think um, Nick Vaughn, I think, is, is, is an incredibly good hire because Ryan Edens, you know, being a GM, I think it, it isn't that natural to him. I think they need someone who is a natural GM. And I think Ryan's role as a CEO now fits him a lot better. And having Nick with his tremendous experience will do really well. And then you mentioned that um, Optic has likes you know big personalities. He has an incredibly big personality, and that's necessary for Optic because they want to continue that what they do with with COD and everything else of having these big personalities, and they want to move that into their League of Legends. So getting the biggest personality around is definitely great. And I don't know too much about Hunter, to be honest. No, Hunter's been around for a while. I think that the other thing that kind of like stands out, you're seeing maybe in the last week or two, um, and that's basically the off season. It's kind of like, you know, you're hiring all these people to run your teams. And I mean, well, like I guess Romain came in very late. Nick uh, Fan was kind of a late addition. And they're basically hitting the floor running into the off season. Like, right. A lot of these other teams have had their GMs in position for, you know, weeks. Um, actually, no. Okay. So Romaine has been actually secretly on optic for a month. Nick fan, I think is brand new. And Hunter, I think was secretly working. So I guess Nick is kind of like the last one, but it's, a, I mean, it's a great pickup. I'm sure he knows exactly what's going on. He, he probably was, uh, had a lot of influence with the immortals team. But yeah, no, I mean, it's great to see people shifting around. Um, I think it's all great hires all around. Yeah. And um, let's move on to to our next story. Um, so Dojo Madness, they raised $6 million for their esports coaching apps and analytics. So coaching in esports is, is really untapped territory. A lot of different companies have tried to do this before. Um, some of them successfully, others not. There's a lot of person-to-person coaching, and it comes with a lot of problems, primarily that like you can't really scale it. Um, there are a lot of local 
kind of arenas and coachings coming up, which I think has potential on a much smaller scale, but Dojo is kind of in the middle. So the company will use the money they got to expand their data-driven products, including their Sumo coaching app for League of Legends. So the it was the funding was done by Rain Ventures, the venture capital arm of the Rain Group, and they led the round with participation from Kakao's K-Cube and existing investors, including Mars Capital and DN Capital. So the total uh, funding that Dojo has done so far is $12.75 million, which is a lot. Um, Dojo Med has recently acquired coaching marketplace League Coaching, adding kind of a human coaching product. Uh, but they also have a business B2B data service and an SA, a software as a service platform uh, that provides analytics and data visualization for Counter-Strike, League, and Dota 2. So what's really interesting, uh, what I read in their press release, was that they particularly chose these investors, not only for the money that they give, but because they have ties to Asia. That is, I think, yeah. is very interesting because I think a lot of these coaching apps, um, there's a, a company called Stars, which does a lot of video coaching, but a lot of them really are focused, especially the person-to-person coaching on the U.S., and I don't think a lot of these companies have tried to break into Asia, which obviously is a very big potential market. So I think it's it's a prime example of when you're getting investors, you not only want to have money, but you want to have them to be able to give you kind of leverage that you need to, to grow your company even further. So while you were giving the intro, I was poking around their Crunchbase profile, and there's a couple things that stand out to me. Um, currently on Crunchbase, Jan Silgers is listed as their CEO. He's also the co-founder of ESL, and I think one of the principals for uh, BigCraft Venture Capital. Um, so he's definitely somebody who knows a lot about esports. You know, great great leadership team there. Um, they also had a guy. What's his name? He ran Oracle's Alexa, Tim Sven something. Um, and I've seen his name be basically poke around for like uh, appear in various different places. And I'm curious to know if he's still with the company. Dealing with Riot API, you're always so vulnerable to the winds and the whims of the publishers um, that it's kind of like, unless you're c- going for, I guess, an acquisition by the publisher, it seems like a really high risk, high risk venture to be involved in. That's true. I think it's, I think it's interesting because... There are multiple games. So it's interesting that they're in CSGO, even though there's no way Steam would ever acquire them. Yeah, and I mean... Or Valve. The whole CSGO API, is, I think like when I dealt with it maybe a year ago, it was even worse than the Riot one. The Riot one was actually pretty good, but the CSGO one, it was like missing guns. It was like, I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Good move. I think that, you know, 6 million, what is it? They're almost up to 13 million now. It's a lot of money to spend um, on building on building video game data. Um, I think that, you know, if I had to compare them with anything, it would be Esports One. And I think uh, Esports One is going for optical character recognition as opposed to dealing with APIs, um, which is going to give them a little bit more autonomy. And it also opens them up to be potentially acquired by somebody like uh, a mixer or a um, or a Twitch just because um, they're not going to be reliant on the publisher data. They're just going to be reliant on the video feed. So you, you, you wanted to include a story about Facebook, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily esports related, but I do think it's important to kind of be aware of these things. So Facebook announced their creators uh, program. It seems like Facebook is trying to 
have their own answer for something like YouTube, where they create um, they create like an ecosystem for creators to make content. The perspective that YouTube is only a small part of Google, and there's so many Google creators um, that are making you know ridiculous amounts of money. You know, I was seeing articles where it's like you know hundred thousand dollars a month, million dollars a month, and that from the Facebook perspective, there hasn't been this great opportunity to do that. Um, I really think that if you're an esports content creator, creating content for Facebook and being one of the first ones to do it is a great opportunity. Yeah, we previously already saw Facebook experiment through their watch platform with uh, esports content. Uh, they worked with some teams, in particular Echo Fox. Echo Fox even has a daily kind of game show on there. And surprisingly, the viewership, from what I've heard, hasn't been there. But we clearly see that Facebook wants to invest in content creators. And they want to invest in long-term having something that can stand next to Twitch um, or YouTube. Uh, my biggest issue is, as of right now, they're not really offering anything that will incentivize uh, creators to um, to move away from platforms. The only thing that they're doing right now is kind of, hey, we're here as well. You know, you can diversify. What you actually want to have is kind of a unique approach to content so that content creators will be like, oh, I make content that is perfect for Facebook creators, but they don't have that yet. Um, their monetization offering right now seemed a little rough and a little bare bones. You're probably making money from a lot of weird third party um, like activities. Like, you know, they were saying like book tours or, you know, live event activations to just have the ability to reach a like, you know, to double your reach in that for those, uh, like, uh, activations, I think that's super, super lucrative, especially for like the top tier creators, like, um, Dr. Disrespect or, you know, an I just team. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that with the YouTube adpocalypse, a lot of content creators are moving away from YouTube and going to Twitch. A great example is, uh, H3H3. They now have an incredibly successful podcast, um, which they created because they weren't getting enough money through YouTube. So if Facebook, especially stepping their monetization game up and reaches out to these content creators and says, hey, when you're doing your podcast, why not streaming, stream it on YouTube, as, on Facebook as well? Um, it will you know, gain, it will allow Facebook to, to grow. But I think monetization really is key. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, let's go to our next story. Which, what, what else did you have on today? Yeah, so a story that... I randomly saw on my Twitter feed that I didn't think really got a lot of pickup, but seems really big, is that Game Digital uh, is planning to open up about 100 gaming arenas. So Game Digital, as far as I know, is Britain's biggest video game retailer. So they are planning on, re- on restoring profitability, and they're opening up 35 of its belonging store, which is the name of their gaming arena, by the end of next year, and 100 more um, on 100 or more in the longer term. So their market share and profits has declined a lot um, since 2012. Um, they relisted their stock exchange in 2014, but their shares went as low as 19.3 pence um, earlier this year. And in 2015, they were 335 pence. So, so far it has opened 18 of these arenas since the summer in 2016. And customers racked up about eight, 18... 
89,000 hours of gaming in the first quarter. So this is really interesting because I haven't heard anything about this before. And I'm assuming these arenas aren't really arenas. They're more like PC bongs where you just go and, and just play some games and you pay money. But it's interesting seeing such a big company completely pivoting to esports. Um, yeah, I, what I'm kind of, I'm going to tie this in with something that I'm seeing in North America. Um, you're seeing retail space uh, begin to do really poorly. Like Amazon is basically need to find new um, new ways to monetize their uh, physical store footprints. Um, and they're trying to pivot to something that's more experiential. So like when you come into a Microsoft store now, uh, very frequently they're actually running in-store esports tournaments. Um, so if I, had, I do feel that the Microsoft is attempting something very, very similar in the U.S. And I do think that this is a result of the general trend of trying to pivot stores from just, you know, uh, being a point of purchase to being something that's, you know, experiential as well. I'm not bullish about gaming arenas in general. I mean, I think there's potential, but it's just the way you look at it. A lot of them are like, oh, we're going to have tons of local events. But the problem is, how many how many local events do you have in a New York area that can get, you know, over 50 people to come to an arena for a couple hours? You might have one every weekend, um, but that is one. And you might have five or six gaming arenas in New York alone. So it is really tough, especially when it becomes more mainstream. So I think there's tons of potential for kind of a after school as gaming arena so people can get together kind of like pc bongs in korea but in order for that to be successful we really need to see a cultural shift and so far there has hasn't been any signs of that happening you know you have your your smash community for instance which is very strong and they might go to especially in new york there's in brooklyn there's this place that always has smash events and it does really well but the moment you try to scale that up into totally different games where there is no culture of getting together and having these small tournaments, it gets really difficult. Um, you know, I agree with that there's probably a limit to it. I don't think that that limit is one. And um, what I'm, I was also kind of in the same boat as you were in terms of like not being bullish on this, on these type of activations. But seeing events like Super League Gaming sell out movie theaters and doing that event after event, and then seeing, you know, anecdotally, like, you know, the positive response that Microsoft got by running their in-store Halo 2 tournaments, um, I do think that this is a really great use of, you know, physical spaces. And I do think that, um, you know, I'm kind of excited about it. You know, I, what is it? Like, we saw, like, if you... What is it like last week? Zog Sports, which is an adult recreational league, they started running Mario Kart tournaments in um, San Francisco. You know, partnering meetups like that with physical spaces, I mean, I think it's a win win for everybody. And I just don't think that, I think that the barrier to entry before was that stores didn't know how to operate esports tournaments well. Mm-hmm. And I think that they didn't have the right infrastructure in place. But if they do have the right infrastructure in place, I would much rather go to a store and have a really great organized tournament or competition than just going in there and like basically having the equivalent of an E3 free play. Absolutely. I I agree. Um, Just what you have to think about is that Super League Gaming, which you mentioned before, they, I think as far as I know, they have periodic events. So once every month or something, they have a league going on and then they are able to sell out... um, 
movie theaters. Sure, but I, I think like okay, like you know, you're you're having more and more of these events, and they're all. Um, so I guess it's like they haven't hit you know peak saturation. I still stand by my opinion, but like I say a lot of times, I hope to be proven wrong because that will be amazing. Yeah. So I think this is our our, our final story so far, um, and it's kind of a combination of two stories. So one of the big headlines this week was that Fernando Alonso, who's an extremely famous um, F1 uh, driver, I think a two-time world champ, he launched an esports racing team with G2 Esports and Logitech. So his team will be called FA Racing, and they will be in all of these racing games. They haven't mentioned any specifics. They signed Rudy Van Buren. Or, or his uh, McLaren, which is his his um, his his training, his driving outfit. They signed Rudy Van Buren, the winner of a competition called the World's Fastest Gaming, to become the official driving simulator for the 2018 season. So that's pretty interesting. At the same time, we had this weekend, or or we had the F1 World Championship, which surprisingly was in Abu Dhabi, which had over 63,000 entrants. Um, Anton, what are your thoughts? I think that racing games have not had a great, you know, title for a really long time. I think that they've kind of, there may be like a few years even behind, you know, traditional sports games like Madden or FIFA. Great, like, you know, viral success I've seen for racing titles was Super Mario Kart. And I think that once more racing games kind of embrace that, I think that'll be a great way for uh, companies like NASCAR, companies like F1, to interact with their with a larger fan base. I do think that somewhere along the way, they're going to have to trade in the fact of being a pure simulator in exchange for larger numbers of fans touching their brands. Whether or not they're going to choose to do that remains to be seen. Yeah, and, and their simulator is kind of also interesting because that really gives the wow effect. Because if you're able to play into a simulator, all of a sudden you can have that at another, you know, you can have an ESL big event. You can just have a couple of these simulators and people can sign in and play a game. And there's a lot of wow effect, but you can't really reach the masses because of that. So yeah. it's it, that's, in, the, that's the one thing where they, you basically sit in a copy of an F1 car. Yeah. Um, and, and ESL, ESL Holland actually had a very successful um, simulator activation during their last big tournament. And it's interesting because it's a dilemma. Because on one hand, they want to get you know a major uh, fan base, but on the other hand, you get a really passionate small fan base when you have these simulator events all around the world. So it's kind of iffy because the moment you go into these larger racing games, which racing game do you pick? Um, will you? Is there already an existing community? Will they even care? Um, it's really tough. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, it's like a perfect marriage because all those are categories more and more, um, you know, racing games, you know, are a very authentic auto auto um, brand. And then you have all these, you know, traditional sports companies like um, NASCAR and F1. And I think, what is it? Uh, we, we saw Rally Car had an esports tournament last year where they gave away a Subaru. Um, you know, I think it's a great marriage. I just... I want like a really great racing game that, you know, goes a little bit beyond being a pure simulation. 
Absolutely, but it's 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 really it's a really interesting esports category to to look upon. Definitely better than uh, e sailing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Don't knock on sailing; it's pretty dope. But yeah, e sailing's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if I read that announcement. I just giggled at the headline. Yeah, I, I read it for like five minutes, and I'm like, this is the most generic crap I've ever seen. Yeah. So, anything else that you saw this week that kind of like you know stuck out in your head? Yeah, so I did see something um, this week. I saw a lot of it surrounding Tencent, mm-hmm. uh, in particular Battle Royale games. And uh, some of this is actually conflicting. So Tencent will launch, uh, as, as reported by Daniel Ahmad, uh, who's a great follow on Twitter, he said that Tencent will launch its mobile Battle Royale game, Glorious Mission, on November 29th, 2017. The game already has... 30 million pre-registered users in China alone. 30 million. Um, and that's ridiculous. And that's not just it. So Tencent will work with Bluehole to bring PUBG to mobile devices uh, for mainland China. And it's probably looking for publishing a PC version. So this is interesting because it's kind of a conflicting each other. On one hand, they have this huge, hugely successful, uh, even before it's been released, uh, battle royale game on the other hand they're going to create a mobile version of PUBG. um so that's kind of conflicting to me so i was in vegas about a week ago and i found that one of these mobile games system and i downloaded it it was such you know a labor of aggravation to play it the controls were rough the game was lagging non-stop and i think i, I mean it was amazing that I was able to get into a game with a hundred people almost seamlessly. And like, you know, it was like we were running around, but there was so much lag and the whole experience just, it didn't live up to me. I, I mean, I play a lot of, um, I spent like a ton of time playing Fortnite, which by the way is amazing. Uh, but the mobile versions of these games are just not living up to the expectations. Yeah. But the question is, are you talking to crappy, you know, second rate developers or are you talking about, Tencent, who already has an incredible product, mobile product with Arena Valor, which also needs, you know, you need a lot of um, servers and, and something that works like that. So I, I think while well, lag might be an issue, um, if lag isn't an issue in the China market, where just the connections aren't as fast, especially um, off Wi-Fi, I can't imagine that being an issue in the US. Yeah, but the controls also suck. I mean, it's like, you know, try, like, I play a lot of first-person shooters on console trying to do like a controller version of that and it's just i don't know it doesn't feel good i don't know you need like joysticks and every time you try and make a joystick on an, on a phone it ends up being like something like the nokia n-gage or like the what was it the i had that one <laughs> there was the nokia n-gage and then there was the other one it was the sony phone xperia or something i don't know i i, I did i did not like the experience i did not feel like it could be made better yeah but that's interesting. And since we're talking about it anyways, um, so Arena Valor, it, they delayed their um, the launch of that game to 2018 for the US. Do you think it has, success, has potential in the US or not? I think that, you know, I have not played it. They probably already figured out all the control issues with how to make it work. And they've... And, uh, and that made it succeed in China. Um, everybody right now is trying to figure out how to make a battle royale game work on mobile. 
And I think the controls for those are probably a little bit more complex and the developers are a little behind in terms of figuring out how to make it work. So if I were to bet on anything right now, I would bet on Arena of Valor outpacing any Battle Royale game for the next year on mobile. So talking about Battle Royale, so putting on my Alex Jones hat, but it's not really an Alex Jones hat. So Tencent, they are publishing um, PUBG most likely in China and they're creating a mobile version. They own Epic Games, which makes Fortnite. They have the most successful um, PUBG clone on mobile. But also, as Daniel Mudd also reported, Call of Duty Online, which is a free-to-play game for China, which is published by Tencent, is getting an 18-player Battle Royale mode in December. But again, it's like, I think having a Battle Royale game on a PC or on a console is way better than having it on mobile. Yeah, but just imagine Tencent completely owns a certain genre of game. And that's not going to happen. It's like, you can't like really own a genre, even... You know, it's like, you know, I guess League League tried to do that and then Valve came in and basically did it. I don't know. I, I don't think that, I think you could be first to market with a genre. I don't necessarily think you can own a whole genre. No, I don't think, I'm not meaning it like literally. What I'm meaning is that they currently own or are involved in every one of the relevant uh, Battle Royale players. So whenever yeah. it's Fortnite, PUBG... Yeah, no, they're they're all in on battle royale, right? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of things that I saw that were kind of cool. Um, did you see Doctor Disrespect has like some kind of a startup? Yeah, like a TV channel or something. They're not a TV channel, but like a. What well, do you know what it was? It's it, the way that I understand is it's some kind of a extension that allows you to run game shows, um, which I thought was pretty neat. I think something that a lot of people would love. That was pretty cool. Um, and then I think that right now, uh, the whole Halo community, I, I, which is the community that I come from, are waiting a massive, massive post where the next season of competitive Halo is going to be outlined. And then the other one that stuck out to me is Team Quid. Um, I feel like they were the, the first of the premier teams, like the premier esports teams, uh, to have signed a Clash Royale player. Um, there's a big Clash Royale tournament this weekend in London. I think uh, Tashi's over there running it. Um, I think it's being white labeled by ESL. But I'll be curious to see if uh, more, I guess, esports teams are going to pick up Clash yeah, Royale they, players. They hired um, Liquid Hire Too Generous, who used to be at um, Gangstars, mm-hmm. to run all their mobile department. Uh, so he's a, he's a smart guy. He knows his stuff. Um, and he also, they also have a, a, a arena valor team. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think liquid, you know, has demonstrated time and time and again that, you know, is no object to them. Um, so, you know, getting in there and being first and spending more and outspending your opponents is always a great strategy if you can afford to do that. Absolutely. And if Steve is listening, we're, we're, we're ready to be paid as well. Yeah, and with that, I think it's um, it's been a good episode, Anton. Where yeah. can people uh, follow you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter uh, at Joker Can't Spell. And where can people find you, Mo? You can follow me at M R E I S E N M A N on Twitter. And thank you very much for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week. And as always, if you've made it this far in the episode and you enjoy, please give us a great rating on iTunes. Five stars only.